Wow, a lot of things is ha a lot of things are happening right now, guys. A lot of things in the world. Well, let's talk about it. Welcome back to my podcast, Your Better Half. Uh, longtime viewers, thank you so much for being patient with me. I've been very busy myself trying to balance personal and professional. And yes, I've said professional, y'all. I finally got a job. So, you know, um, I really hope, you know, all things, you know, end up going well. But yes, learning to balance everything is quite difficult, especially right now. People are still finding work. People are dealing with ah, the racial injustice in the world, um, trying to um, heal from that. Uh, tr some people are just realizing this is just happening, which is quite, quite sad. <laughs> but anywho, let's talk about it. I mean, so COVID-19 has been, I mean, this 2020 year, guys, the 2020 year has just been like one interesting, one interesting year. Okay. Welcome back to my podcast, Your Better Half. Uh, longtime viewers, thank you so much for being patient with me. I've been very busy myself trying to balance personal and professional. And yes. I've said professional, y'all. I finally got a job. So, you know, um, I really hope, you know, all things, you know, end up going well. But yes, learning to balance everything is quite difficult, especially right now. People are still finding work. People are dealing with ah, the racial injustice in the world, um, trying to um heal from that uh tr some people are just realizing this is just happening which is quite quite sad <laughs> but anywho let's talk about it i mean so covid19 has been i mean this 2020 year guys the 2020 year has just been like one interesting one interesting year okay yeah, so 2019, 2020, <laughs> 20, I think some of us wants to redo 2019, to be quite honest. Um, well, not redo, I wish some of us, you know, I wish 2019 just continued to, compared to 2019 and 2020. 2019 looked pretty good. 2020 started off with a very rocky start for a lot of us, um, a lot of the environmental disasters are happening in Australia, the wildfires. Um, some of our childhood celebrities, including Kobe Bryant died. And then we have um, uh, the COVID-19 situation, unemployment, poverty, um, racial injustice has been highlighted once again. And of course, I'm only covering the things that are that um, a lot of us share. And of course, all of us are dealing with very specific uh problems and issues that maybe have been exacerbated um because of COVID-19 and because of unemployment and because of how things are so I just want to say how are you doing how are you doing I hope you're doing okay and uh 
if you need to rewind and just take a deep breath, I would definitely recommend just taking five minutes of your day and just recognizing the areas in your life that are that need attention that that is in pain um and if you want to know more know more about that you can go over my previous um episodes but today guys i am going to be talking about racial injustice and how do we how do we fight racial and how do we fight injustice uh especially racial injustice so this is all coming up at the back heels of what happened to george floyd George Floyd was a middle-aged black man, um, around six feet. He went to the convenience store that he usually goes and um, bought an item at the convenience store. But instead of using regular money, he used a counterfeit $20 bill. And the store owner called the police. The store owner um, has stated that uh, he's, George Floyd has used a counterfeit $20 bill in the past. So I guess he wasn't going to take it anymore. Um, I'm assuming it's male, but I'm not going to assume that he or she. And I called the police. The police, the police reaction to all of this and the end result, obviously, you already know. Uh, so when it comes to fraud, um, allegations, things like this, usually they... You, the person gets arrested, puts in the police car, gets processed at the station, you know, maybe it ends up being a white male and ends up going to a white collar prison. But for George Floyd, a different situation occurred. Uh, he was arrested, uh, pinned down to the floor uh, by four police officers. Now, keep in mind, he didn't have a weapon. He didn't have anything um, on him, but probably, you know, maybe the counter $25 bill and maybe, um, or the food that he used to buy with that uh, or item. And the four police officers pinned him to the ground. And now, again, this is a response to the fact that he used a $20 bill. Black man pinned down to the ground. The other three officers are maybe getting backup or, I don't know, calling, telling their supervisor what's going on. I don't know what they're doing. Um, so the three officers are standing beside George Floyd, who is them, who is pinned down by one of the police officers. The police officer is a white male, an experienced police officer, by the way, that apparently has had um, uh, tons of um, complaints about him. Um, by other patrons, by other uh, citizens of uh, Minneapolis. And that's where this all occurred. So this man, uh, George Floyd, is pinned down by a white experienced police officer. The police officer places his knee on his neck and he slowly continues to put pressure. He removes his knee. The police officer removes his knee and then puts it back. And, and and he does this over maybe 15, 20 minutes. And in the video that circulated around the world, uh, we see it within minutes. And uh, the police officer is kneeling down. And there is no threat to the police officer's life. Again, he had no weapon, no nothing. There was no reason to fear George Floyd. But this the police officer, this white police officer has decided to, you know, the knee... 
against George Floyd's neck was necessary for whatever reason. So the police officer does that and continues to do it. While he's doing this and continuing to put pressure on his head, on his neck, uh, George Floyd is crying out to his mom. Mom, I can't breathe. Mom, I need help. You know, um, and people who are don't know the police officers, don't know situation, maybe only a bit of context is watching this video. And by the end of the video of what is taking place, right? And um, at the end, uh, George Floyd dies on the floor. George Floyd is dead. People who are watching this video all over the world gets to see George Floyd takes his last breath. It is absolutely horrific. And this is, again, to a response of a man using a counterfeit $20 bill. I have never seen a situation where a counterfeit $20 bill results into a man's uh, results into loss of a, of a man's life. I personally have never seen that. Uh, but then again, it's America and America's history with African Americans, Black Americans is very complex and it's very disgusting, um, very horrific. And this is, of course, this has rippled not only beyond Minneapolis in the United States, but here in Canada, um, Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa. It is it is horrific to see that another brother on the ground is pinned down and then dies because he used a $25 bill. Yes, the fact that he used a $25 bill is wrong. We get that. And what should have happened was he should have been arrested. Um, He should have then been processed. I don't know what the usual protocol is when somebody uses a $20, use a counterfeit money at a store. I don't know what the usual practice is. But it doesn't result in a, in, a, in a man losing his life. But I know it's around, you know, the man being processed, man being charged, and then being processed at the station, going in jail, you know, getting bail, like all of those things. And that didn't happen. Now, this video is then circulated to millions, probably even billions of people at this point. And this then creates protests. And this is not just your ordinary protest, y'all. This is, you got people screaming. People are saying, say her name, say their name. Uh, making sure they spread awareness to issues that involve African-Americans. Spread awareness about cases like this. Uh, and the the so the protest not only you know people are not just protesting uh, the protests you know are then you know adopted globally for the first time in a long time I've never seen something like this and this is where I think that there would be change there's going to be change you have Europe also protesting their uh, their their um their experiences of, of racial injustice and how the system perpetuates system, systemic racism. 
um, and their police systems and how Canada is also, there was also protests in all over Canada. There was protests in Australia, there was protests in Asia. It's, it's incredible. But in the U.S., there were not only just protests, there were riots and there were, uh, you know, looting and, you know, in I think in Minneapolis, they burnt down the police station where the four uh, police officers were um, headquartered at. So um, in New York, Minneapolis, uh, from California to Florida, I mean, so I think, no, I think I know. <laughs> I, I, I People really should really do their research before they start commenting and people from all over the political spectrum uh, should really do their research. People, I, and it's really, really hard for me to hear uh, because I myself am a woman of color, to hear that people who are not women of color or people who are, you know, not, not women of color, but people of color, people who are also, you know, a certain type of melanin skin, are just realizing that this type of racial injustice occurs, uh, that that there is systemic racism, which is actually disgusting. And it really is disgusting, especially when, you know, I'm hearing it from educated young people um, or educated um, experienced professionals. I mean, if you don't know that these things are have been happening, are happening then you are point blank ignorant period i mean i don't know how to really try to sugarcoat that and this is not me hurting anybody's feelings this is not me trying to um put people on blast and people put people you know uh point people out but this is just facts so this is happening and we see situations like this, um, George Floyd, um, and all of the situations, um, we're seeing other situations like for instance, the young man in Florida who was taking a jog, uh, but near the place he was taking a jog was a robbery that took, that happened. Um, so two people, or people, I'll tell you what happened after. Two people, well, people <laughs> went to go and rob an abandoned house, a house under construction. So this young black man, I mean, I don't think he even started college. I think he just started college or he was about to start college, something like that. He was taking a run. He was in a very well-known athlete in his neighborhood, right, in his family. And he usually take runs. And... um once I think their alarm went off or the people who owned the, the house in construction. Um, no, sorry. I don't think it was in Florida. I think it was in Georgia. I may be mistaken. But anyways, he was running and people, uh, these men, white men, and of course the boys running is a young black man. These three or four white old older gentlemen are chasing him down. Because they are assuming, they think that he robbed the house in construction. That they robbed, you know, he stole something from inside the house that was in construction. So the boy's running. 
he's trying to understand what is happening. He's saying to them, leave me alone, leave me alone. He's trying to run away from them. And two, and there, and there are two cars uh, filled in total of four people and four old, in, old white older in, individuals. And they're chasing him down, cornering him. And uh, they shot him three times. They shot him three times. And they're even arguing that what they did was was right. And actually, after the fact, he wasn't even the one. The boy, the young black boy, who was just taking a jog, wasn't even the one who robbed the abandoned house. Like, that in itself, it gives you such... I don't understand how you can even justify those actions they shot him three times and before they did that the one of the four white older individuals who were chasing him down on two pickup trucks cornered him and said a slur a racial slur before they shot him three times disgusting and their offense, their defense is probably like, oh, you know, uh, we have the right to carry guns. We had a reasonable, you know, assumption that he was to run um, robbing. We could have make a citizen arrest. There's a reason why we train cops for a reason. And I'll go into all this, guys. As you can tell, like, this is going to be not a long episode, but I want to try to explain my perspective on things so that's going on so these are little not little i'm not gonna say little i don't want to downgrade the situation here these are situations that have been happening all over america for many 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 years and of course we're in 2020 in a post-truth society that in that we know what the truth is, but we as a society sometimes do not want to acknowledge the truth and then move past that. When I mean move past that, evolve with the truth, evolve for the better with the truth. And we as a society and we, and I think, Every single country has these this issue. Uh, U.S. is obviously for many, 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 many reasons is one is is has this issue. Um, people have argued this in regards to many issues that they've had that they know the issues that they face, including the disadvantages African-Americans face in each and every area of their lives, you know, overt or, um, or otherwise, it, people have ignored it. They have um, deflected it. Uh, they, had, they know that African-American individuals are die more at the hands of police than white individuals period period if a white man enters a bank and gets a loan 
and a black man enters a bank and gets a loan, the white man will most likely get the loan and in some cases get an even better loan if, you know, assuming that both of the cases were similar, that the same credit score, uh, they have the same background, um, let's say they came from the same neighborhood, um, same occupation, whatever. The white man who entered the bank would most likely get the bank loan. He most likely get even more. So African-Americans have been dealing with this and we've been spreading, and this is coming from political organizations to civil rights organizations, from individuals to corporations all over America. African-Americans have been trying to spread awareness about this and to create greater opportunities and destroy the obstacles and the disadvantages that they face in the workforce, um, in employment, in housing, in political atmospheres, uh, in the justice system. It is endless. And people are now being aware of what is going on. People are now are understanding what African-Americans face. People are now are reading books by you know, um, experienced, you know, expert individuals who studied African-American history. Um, There are so many books that come to mind and so many uh, other authors um, that I can probably recommend you to, but I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, websites have already alluded to this already. And I've saw many of them and they've had pretty, a pretty good comprehensive book list for you to start your preliminary research, your research on African-American history. And you can, if you really delve into African-American history and really take the time to understand why African-Americans feel the way they feel uh, and why African-Americans are the way they are in terms of wealth, you know, uh, um, African-Americans, I make I think they make about 60 cents on the dollar um, or even less than that. And then, you know, uh, white Americans make more. Um, Why? In terms of wealth, you know, they have more, um, less wealth than white Americans, substantially less wealth. So it goes on and on and on and on. And it doesn't only involve individuals. It involves the way the government has handled this and how we've been hunted down by the police state, by the police, ever since the creation of the police um, as African-American slaves. Um, You know, how we've been enslaved and how we've been, you know, uh, disenfranchised and... um, how we've been blocked from getting proper housing, blocked from voting, blocked from, you know, just having a party in public, blocked from going to the movie theaters, blocked from, you know, getting employment. Uh, and then if you put in like the social barriers, like the, ster- the uh, stereotypes people have about African-Americans, certain types of African-Americans, it's just ridiculous and that's where i would think like entertainment like uh tv shows and movies are truly trying to uh, destroy that and destroy the typical african-american medium the typical african-american person or whatever you think that may be um but for you to go through the history you would then understand why african-americans are looting 
you would understand why African Americans are doing what they're doing. Because, because in the past, and, and, and this is a very arguable point. I mean, again, African Americans are not monolithic. They're a very diverse population. So some would say, you know, they don't agree with the whole looting, that that would actually point, you know, push us back. That don't, well, that won't focus on the issue of, you know, the systemic racism in the justice system, you know, how we need to deal with that. Some African-Americans, Black Americans, Africans, because you, you have to count into the, the diaspora as well. Some are even saying that uh, you have, um, you have to loot. You have to make noise. You have to make noise for this issue, for us to be heard. And that brings us back to Martin Luther King, how he had to go and on the streets and really protest, even when the African-Americans were, Black Americans were prohibited from doing so. And they were beaten and hosed with water like animals just because they were trying to get a better life for themselves. So, and in some way, the the whole purpose of looting, you know, it actually worked, got national attention, international attention, because the whole, you know, the video that we saw from George Floyd was just so disgusting, so disgusting that it invoked a certain uh, uh, reaction that was just visceral, that was just... Um, it, it just, it just required, it required, you know, that type of action of, of just looting because again, we know what's right from wrong. Like, you know, the American, um, um, American history is just learning from our mistakes and we're in 2020, we know treating African-Americans, you know, the way that they're treating now is wrong, but no one is changing it. And so some African-Americans would agree that looting is right. Some African-Americans, Black Americans would think that looting is wrong. So the looting did, you know, get national, international attention. And we were able to see what we're seeing now, which is, you know, politicians coming out and irrevocably denouncing, you know, racism, denouncing uh, what, the, you know, the police did to George Floyd. We have corporations crying, trying to create, you know, uh, programs that, you know, create great opportunities for Black Americans. And you have, Afri- you have a lot of um, corporations and businesses, non-for-profit, political organizations and like are... Uh, publicly denouncing what is happening, denouncing this. And it is incredible because we've never seen something like this in the past. It's kind of, and some some are calling it a revolution. And I think it is a revolution. My fear is though, um, that like many other situations like this in the past would just die down. That, 
once the national attention is gone, once, you know, um, things are going away that, you know, um, once, once the, you know, the TVs and channels and certain news outlets stop shining a light on what's going on, that we will no longer focus on this issue and we will no longer focus on this. And this is, has been my life. I want it to be my life's work. I, um, so this is interesting because I really hope the momentum continues and I hope it's, uh, 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 upward momentum. And some civil rights organization are saying that we shouldn't just think that people are saying this is just an inflection point. There's just something that happened now will happen again. There will be protests next year or in the next few months. But there will be no substantive change on the change that requires uh, this to occur, uh, to prevent things like this to occur um, uh, from, you know, from happening. So there would be no change from all of this. And that that's very, very disheartening. And it's very, very sad. Uh, Barack Obama did a... Uh, I was going to say town hall, but it's more of like a discussion amongst other civil rights organizations, um, organization, uh, leaders from Black Lives Matter and uh, organizations that Barack Obama personally heads. And they deal with situations like this, providing opportunities to uh, uh, black males and um, African-Americans in certain areas of society and raising awareness about these types of issues. And he's talking about that there will no, you said something about there will be no sweeping change. You know, there will be no, after all of this writing and protesting and this international awakening, there will be no sweeping change. And obviously that's practical. Obviously that's going to happen, right? Um, especially under the administration that we're in right now. Um, it looks like the current administration is, uh, I mean, the Trump administration is, is doesn't want to make any substantive change. So th- there won't be one sweeping change uh, that will happen after this. Uh, there would be a shift in society. Uh, there would be, uh, there isn't, there has been an awakening. And we will greater give forward, uh, greater focus on issues like this and greater attention. But there will be no substantive change because to really change, to really make a change, it would require a lot of work. It would require the gutting and the reworking, the restructuring of our justice system, the way we look at things, uh, the, the restructuring of the way we hire, our hiring practices, the, the restructuring of the way we employ people. And if we were to do this restructuring in the United States, it would require provincial and federal, sorry, <laughs> I'm talking about Canada. It would require uh, state um, and federal uh, restructurings because each state in the United States have its own laws. So each governor would have to consent to also doing its own restructuring. And this is then alluded to, you know, people are, especially civil rights activists, especially 
um, people, family members of African-Americans who have died at the hands of police are saying that in some neighborhoods, police are not needed. We don't need the police. They're saying we don't need the police. Some are going as far as abolishing the police. Some on the other end are saying, yes, we need to change the police system, but there is some restructuring. Some are saying we should give more money to the police so they can have more training. In my opinion, I don't, for me, I get that being a police officer is very, very complicated. I get it. I get it. It is because you're constantly trying to do your duty as a police officer and trying to avoid being in a threatening situation and also trying to protect yourself so you can go home and go home to your family. I get it. But at the same time, there are just some things that you would just have to use your common sense and be sensitive to. And that's with people of color, uh, especially with their history with the police and especially in some, in some societies. Um, you just have to use your sensitive sensitivity training. And, and I, for me, I don't know how, what more training these officers should be receiving to have this type of training uh to have the type of knowledge that okay when i'm dealing with this black man this black man probably already has a lot of is already fearful of me already i'm gonna come out of my car i've pulled this man over who uh didn't stop at a stop sign this man is already fearful of me i am gonna proceed with caution i am gonna try to be kind and all of this and use my customer service skills get his information make sure he's not violating any other anything else or he's out on a on a warrant or something like that um you know you have to treat each and every client differently and for a police officer to say oh i'm colorblind that's even worse that's even worse (laughs) that's even worse (laughs) because every single person is not treated equally Every single person is not treated the same, is not treated, not treated the same in society. And it's not given equal treatment. It's not given equal opportunities. So you cannot say, oh, the same way I treat this white man is the same way I want to treat this black man. No, you cannot. The white man was not given a discussion by his parents growing up that you have to be extremely careful when it comes to dealing with police officers. Police officers may or may not have certain biases and prejudice against people of my skin color. So because of that, a black man or a black woman is coming into an interaction with a police officer differently than a white man or a white woman. These are, I think this is like common sense, but I love how we're internationally, we we are having this awakening we're all taking a deep breath. <sighs> We're understanding the issues from both sides. And in a lot of cases, there are more than one side, right? Uh, when it comes to issues like this, you have the way the government deals with it, the way the political system deals with it, the way employers deal with it, the way... Poli- I mean, there are so many ways 
you can look at this. But when it comes to a police interaction, you can't deal in the same way you deal with, you know, other people, you can't deal with the same way you deal with people of color. And this is not only African-Americans or Black Americans or Africans. This is also brown people. This is also Asians. You can't deal with them the same way you, de- you, you deal with white um, individuals. And that's just like point blank common sense. And I've also heard police officers say that, oh, you know what? Um, I understand that, but I usually patrol this neighborhood that is predominantly, you know, filled with people of color and most likely things, you know, illegal actions, illegal things take place in these neighborhoods and, you know, we have to handle it in a certain way. And I'm like, okay, but how are you handling it? You cannot put your previous, you know, interactions with people like this. You can't group them together on a new situation. When you, as a police officer, go into an interaction with a person who's potentially committing or about to commit illegal acts, you have to treat it as it's the first interaction, the first thing, you know, the the first time interacting with this individual, not people like this individual, this individual, okay? You cannot put in your prejudices and your biases that you have towards an entire population onto an in each interaction you have of a member of that population. Again, this is like common sense, but I think we also have to understand too, I think they're saying that, oh, police officers are also scared too because police officers come in situations, you know, sometimes um, with different emotions and different points of view. Uh, and... Uh, these police officers also have some trauma and also have dealt with some things in the past. And my response to that is, I understand, then you shouldn't be on the street. The trauma that you have experienced is obviously impacting your 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 duty as a police officer. So you should be off the streets, treat your trauma by going to seek a professional help and then come back when you're ready to you know, do, do do what you do as a police officer, fair and justly, you know, with fair and unbiased, you know, opinion. And that's common sense, again. So, yes, <laughs> this is all very, 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 very complicated. And everybody, I think, not only African-Americans, other uh, people who are seeing these situations for the first time or trying to understand how they can potentially help. How can they help? Well, you know, some are saying, oh, sign up at your nearby. Um, oh, before I talk about this, I think I haven't completed my point on abolishing the police. My point of view is I think in some neighborhoods, uh, the police, so People are saying the police systems are not required in those some same some neighborhoods. 
where the police systems are usually the police calls um, the majority of it people are saying in some neighborhoods not all some uh only require a social worker or a nurse you know what i mean or somebody who a mental health worker who's who you know who has experience with situations like this doesn't need a doesn't need a police officer you don't need a police officer for a lot of situations so if that's the case i do agree that maybe um the there should be on hand certain professionals that would help with certain situations you know uh and they would probably do situations better than police officers police officers most likely uh negatively impact the citizen um sometimes traumatizing them you know if it ends up you know it, it ends up with the police officer using guns and all of this when it's not necessarily needed so i think some neighborhoods shouldn't really use um police officers um of course they should be on hand for dangerous and violent situations obviously obviously in some neighborhoods i do think more training again i don't know what that training would look like because again a lot of what i'm saying is the common sense that police officers should have already known and that's why when these things happen, we're just we're just flabbergasted on how this can even occur. And I think also this comes comes into play of how police systems also kind of have the entrenched cultures that have been bolstered by unions and uh, the uh, state officials and local officials. But anyways, and so yeah, I think abolishing police systems would be appropriate for some neighborhoods now let me give you a scenario like i've entered a scenario like this i was working in a business and i and it's it's, it's a business where there's only one entrance to the actual office and the and that door is usually locked so for me to um and i was the only one in the office so for me to let that person or let a person in or to know who's who who are about to come you know allowed to come into the office i would need to open the door so i was in a situation earlier this year and um it was a person that opened the door um it was quite clear this person was homeless and after having some conversation with this person this person you know is obviously dealing with some mental issues you know talking about uh how uh she's the queen and all of this but the reason why i let her in is because she was about to faint and she was thirsty so i gave her some water and i you know i told her she can sit down in the office i was hesitant at first because um it's a very um i was the only one in the office and i don't really know this individual and it looks like the individual could potentially be um could could potentially threaten threaten me or put me in a very difficult and violent situation so i was in the office and um yeah she was um having we're having a conversation she drank her water and it looks like that um she needed help so i called the police and informed the police that this individual needed a place to stay uh needed a you know a place to stay at a nearby homeless shelter and uh, I let the police officer know, or the person, the um, 911 operator, 
that I'm dealing with a person with mental issues who has mental issues. So, uh, when the police officers arrived, they didn't just arrive by themselves. You arrived with a mental um, health worker, which I thought it was brilliant because a mental health worker would only know to have the specialized training to know what to do with in, in, this, in these situations. They know how to talk to the individual, and um, they know what they have a more they have a more inclined sense of what the individual is feeling, what the what the individual wants because they have experience in training, specialized experience in training. So the social health worker came and she talked to her. Um, it took a while, but they, they finally escorted her, um, the homeless individual outside of the office and um, to go find her a homeless shelter. And the police officers were only there for backup, meaning if anything were to happen, if she, you know, attacked somebody and it didn't look like she was going to, then the, the police officer would then stepped in. But the police officer was just in the background and the social worker was just talking to the individual. Are you okay? Do you have family members? Where can we put you? Blah, blah, blah. And because where I was working was at a business. So, and that escalated. It didn't escalate. But that situation dissolved very, very quickly because the mental health worker was available and was present. So I think in situations like this, that's where it's, it was, it, it's definitely, police officers are not really needed. And I think a lot of situations, a lot of neighborhoods in America would definitely utilize approaches like that. So yes. So a lot of us is talking about injustice. How do we deal with this injustice? How do you deal with this injustice? So how do you deal with this injustice? People are saying, especially young individuals are saying, you know, go protest, uh, go sign petitions, go and um, vote. And as much as I agree with all the above, it doesn't, what you can do is things you can do in your backyard. Yes, petitions are great. And voting, of course, you have to vote. Like, if you want anything, if you want your voice to be heard, you have to vote. Even when you think that your vote would not matter, go vote. So, yes, if you can go protest and you have the time, protest and be safe about it. Wear your COVID-19 mask, go protest. Stay six feet away from individuals, go protest. But I think it really starts from home. I, I think it really starts with the relationships that you do have. I think if you really want to make change, lasting change, start to have discussions with your family members, with your friends. Ask your brother, um, who's also a person of color, uh, have you dealt with in, uh, racial injustice? Having the ability for him or a person like him to share his experience with you and having the time to connect and really understanding his emotions and what he dealt with is actually important, very vital for him to know that he's not alone. A person like him is not alone. And um, having just discussions like that with family members, 
how to, you know, how do you deal with individuals who are saying racial slurs casually? I don't know how you can just casually say the N-word, but okay. Honestly, if you're not Black, if you're not African, Black American, African American, you should not be saying the N-word. Even if it's, it, even if it, it is in a rap song, you should not be saying the N-word, period, with a T. <laughs> so... It's having discussions about this, um, having having discussions about our re- interactions that you will potentially have. You know, like I said, you know, how you deal with some person with a racial slur, uh, how you not only a person who maybe is ignorant or person who is racist, but how you would inter how you would interact with people. Um, who's pe- you know that are people of color if you're not a person of color, right? So what what are things? Keep in mind of things that you're saying. Microaggressions are a thing, you know. If you're surprised that a black woman got, gra- you know, graduated from Harvard, that's kind of a microaggression. You shouldn't be surprised, okay? Um. In situations like that, it's actually quite insulting. So, you know, watch out what you're saying. Watch what your body language is doing. You know, think about what you're saying or doing. Think about how you're interacting. If you're a person of authority, person of power, if you're a manager, if you are an employee and you have, you know, um, if you have an employee, how do you interact with them? If you, if you are an employee and you have a manager who's a person of color, how do you do you interact with them? Do you tend to underestimate their direction, their vision, and all of this? Um, or if you're a CEO, how do you interact with your um, with your staff who are people of color? How do you do that? And again, people of color, I'm not only African Americans, Black Americans, Africans, but also Asians brown individuals you know middle eastern so on and etc 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 so i think it's not only yes protesting and signing petitions and uh, making sure you're vocal about this issue making sure you vocally denounce it because silence is also a response we don't need per- people to be to agree with us in silence we need we need you know, people are, people are not agreeing with the word allies, uh, especially, I think allies is appropriate, uh, but also fellow human beings, you know, we're all human beings, you know, and uh, we all, we're all human beings are have different experiences, we all, we all have different shades of, you know, color, and we shouldn't be treated based on our skin, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, not only should we be vocal, but we should have actual discussions and take the time to have actual discussions with our family members, with our friends, with our colleagues, and connect with others who have experienced this, you know, recognize, you know, interactions that you might, you know, be coming off as prejudice and ignorance and um, biased and um, recognize that, acknowledge that, you know, Take the time in the day and think about, like, learn your thoughts, like, identify your thoughts about individuals. And I think if we start, if we each, each of us actually start with that, 
our society will change because we would then teach our children and our children teach our grandchildren on how to deal how to handle other individuals you know with different backgrounds and different skin colors and how we should be treat them with respect and dignity as the same way you would want to be treated period so yes I think that's how you would fight injustice. Um, there are many routes you can fight injustice, uh, but just having that small discussion with yourself, with your spouse, with your partner, with your child, with your colleague, with your sister, brother, uh, with them, with your parent, your grandparents is very, very important. And, um, by doing that, I think we will create lasting change. Our new thinking process would then be involved um, within, in our laws and the way we view society. Our future generations would then recognize you know, the wrong and right and then implement that into our laws and our social norms. So yes, I think that's how we, we should recreate we social, you know, you know, how we create justice and uh, how we create, um, how do we fight injustices? And it's a very general approach. And it's not very specific, of course. You know, if I were to really go specific towards it, um, talking about, you know, prison reform and um, reforming the policing system and uh, having greater representation of Black individuals. Greater, greater opportunities and access for black individuals. I can really go, I can talk all day, guys, but <laughs> um, just having a simple discussion with yourself and others. And that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm pretty sure y'all heard enough of me today already. <laughs> and I'll see you soon. Real soon. Bye.